welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Oh, it's, it turned out to be a special day. Thank you, Javonda and Shannon, just, just uh, giving glory to the Lord and uh, thinking of the Lord's Supper and uh, coming together. Very much look forward to that in just a little bit. As, uh, as you find your place in Haggai chapter 2, you may have noticed uh, during the week, or you may not have noticed, uh, that we have added a few chairs. I don't know if you caught that yet or not. Um, I'll just take a moment to bring us uh, all together uh, and up to speed. Uh, last week, I kind of gave a brief outline or overview of our elders' plan, uh, currently with three phases to accommodate uh, any potential growth as we head into fall, uh, hopefully through evangelism and outreach. The first phase, it's the simplest phase, uh, is we added 40 chairs uh, to help us just fully utilize this space uh, that we already have before getting more aggressive. Phase two, if you were not here, would be after we have a, a chance to, to refresh and renovate uh, the building that is behind us, uh, that would be to add a very attractive, a, a very nicely uh, done overflow area sharing a video and audio feed. Uh, neither of these two phases, these two first phases, by the way, uh, require any building permit or adding any square footage. Uh, it's space under roof we already have. Phase three, if through evangelism and discipleship and outreach and the power of the gospel and by the grace of God, uh, if overflow were to begin to fill, uh, that increasing attendance then uh, might give uh, might make it feasible for us uh, to ask an architect how it might be best to stretch this building or expand it in some way uh, to accommodate all of us together again under the same roof and provide uh, room for further growth as the Lord wills. Uh, so these, these three phases, uh, they, are, um, they provide us with an optimistic but a very fiscally conservative uh, responsible plan to handle any potential growth as we return uh, to fall to study the Acts of the Apostles. Really hoping this, this book will spur us by His Spirit. Uh, how about, and that's all long term, how about today we just begin by, for, by filling 40 extra chairs? Let's just start there and see what the Lord will do. This is our phase one that we have. Gospel tracts and connection cards are by each of the back doors. Uh, you're free to use those. They're beside the exits. Uh, let me know if you have any questions or if I can be an encourager in any way uh, to help you use tools that will become more aggressive in your life for personal invites to church, evangelism, and outreach. Uh, it is time to build the body of Christ. Today in our passage... Haggai becomes an encourager as he provides once again the temple builders with, with another word from the Lord. The foundation that is there before them was laid 
some 16 years earlier, uh, but this group, we have, the, we have the date markers at the beginning. Uh, this group has only been building on it for less than a month. And what they see with their eyes appears, well, it's not all that impressive as compared to that grandeur that, uh, that they know, uh, know about uh, that first temple that was built by Solomon. The, foot, the footprint, we understand, of the second temple, it's about the same footprint of the temple building, uh, but they have read about the glory of Solomon's temple in Scripture, and uh, a few of them are even old enough to remember uh, that temple before it was destroyed by the Babylonians 66 years earlier. Uh, in fact, many scholars believe that the structure of the Hebrew language uh, used by Haggai suggests that he is an older man and that he uh, very likely might have seen the first temple before it was destroyed. That first temple, boy, it, it enjoyed material glory. Um, it also enjoyed immaterial glory. Materially, its glory was the decor, which was the gold and the silver and the priestly ephod made of pricey onyx stones, precious onyx stones. Immaterial, immaterially, its glory had enjoyed the visible presence of the Lord. This group of builders that Haggai is speaking to, uh, they enjoy neither of the above. Uh, neither the material nor the immaterial glory. What they enjoy? God has assured them, I am with you. But they look around. They don't see any visible evidence that God is with them. Can you relate? So there, there is no visible glory of God's presence. Secondly, well, as the builders look around, they, they take a peek at their inventory. Their building materials consist primarily of timber and stone. There aren't any pallets of gold or silver laying around. The high priest currently wears no ephod, no precious stones on his chest. They don't even have King Solomon to draw in the treasure of all the nations as Solomon did that first time. They've got none of the above. No visible presence of God, no giant reserves of precious metals. Uh, boy, do these, do these builders remind you of anybody? Well, just turn your head to the left and to the right. Um, onlookers today don't don't find a whole lot of uh, visibly impressive things about Christ's church today either. But looks can be deceiving, folks. Looks can be deceiving, especially when the Lord builds, not by man's might, not by political power, but by His Spirit, says the Lord. As we read chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, there is a lot here. There's a lot here. Uh, this will be a two-week two-week message, which I have titled, Christ, the Greater Glory. 
on the 21st of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? But now take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And all you people of the land, take courage, declares the Lord, and work. Why? For I am with you. As for the promise which I made, which I made to you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also, and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the wealth of all nations, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Well, what we read in this passage, uh, it, it contains a two-part promise from God. There is an immediate promise and a distant promise. In verses 1 through 5, we find an immediate promise of God's presence, I am with you. In verses 6 through 9, we find a, a future promise, a distant promise, once more in a little while. When the, when the glory of God will return to His temple, and this latter glory will be greater than the former glory, even greater than Solomon. Folks, are you tracking? A greater glory? Where would you find that? During our scripture reading earlier, Jesus told us a few things. What are they? Well, in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 6, Jesus declared, something greater than the temple is here. Folks, that is a mighty declaration. Under the old covenant, the temple was where God dwelt. In the Holy of Holies, the, the innermost room of the temple, on the, on the day of sin's atonement, the temple is where the glory of God intersects with man. They come together for atonement. And Jesus assures, well, there is now standing in their midst something greater than either that first or second temple. That is a bold statement, a very bold statement. In Matthew 12 and verse 40, Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, 
Uh, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The man of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Greater than the temple, greater than, than Solomon dressed in all of his glory... Boy, did Jesus upset the religious establishment? Did he ever? How was the Son of God dressed? Was he, was he dressed in any royal linens? Not at all. No, Jesus was God's glory dressed in human flesh. God made incarnate conceived by the Holy Spirit, and born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. And Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body, we are told in John 2 and verse 19. And in the temple of Christ's body, God and man come together, and they again are joined for sin's atonement. It's quite a picture, isn't it? Quite a picture of what happened in the temple, but now it's happening in the God-man, Jesus Christ. Uh, before we return to verses 1 through 5, let me ask you this question. This is in preparation for next week if you want to do some homework. When the Lord of hosts promises in verses 6 through 9, I will fill this house, speaking of the second temple, I will fill this house with glory and that the latter glory will be greater than the former, experienced under Solomon, and that in this place, in the second temple, I will give peace or I will bring peace at what point in time did God's glory fill that second temple? The second temple was filled with the glory the moment that Christ's foot stepped across its threshold. God once again returned to his temple as prophesied through Malachi, the, the final book of the Old Testament. Malachi, uh, through Malachi, we are told that there would be a forerunner, that the messenger would come, and the Lord shall come to his temple, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. Jesus told us, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews replied, it took 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body. Folks, the body of Christ is the third temple. 
And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16, we are the body of Christ. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? The church is God's temple. And God no longer dwells in temples made by human hands. Uh, under the new covenant, Jesus Christ is building a spiritual temple. That's, that's the promise of the new covenant. If you want to see a, a major contrast between the visible nature of the temple under the old covenant and the invisible nature of the temple under the new covenant, we need look for no further than Acts chapter 7 to listen to, well, Stephen, the first martyr of the church. Stephen preaches against the Pharisees and, and is accused of saying that Jesus will destroy this temple. This is Stephen's reply. It was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me? Or what place is there for my repose or rest? Was it not my hand which made all these things, says the Lord? And Stephen says, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit, you are doing just as your fathers did. Stephen's telling them that they are always resisting the Holy Spirit. That means this. The Jews didn't want to take part in any invisible temple. Through a, through a Holy Spirit indwelling, uh, they wanted to continue celebrating the glory of their visible temple. They resisted the Spirit of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. What did they do to Stephen? They stoned him. They stoned him, the first martyr of the church. For these builders with Haggai, the people at the time of writing Haggai, um, or his preaching that was then recorded, uh, they were not going to get to enjoy the visible glory of God. They weren't going to get to see it. They would have to be content with well, the invisible God who assures by his word that he is present with us. That's all they got. And they were never going to set their eyes on the visible glory of Solomon's temple. Um, this is one of the reasons the apostles never become concerned. They never get distracted with the building of a stone temple. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 21 assures Christians we already have a temple. The foundation consists of the apostles and prophets. We have Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone to that foundation. And we are building, uh, we are the building itself. That same passage states uh, we are being fitted together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord 
uh, in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. That's what we're building. In other words, when it comes to stone temples, something greater is already here. Christ is the greater glory, and we are already building His temple by the Holy Spirit of God. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That's what we're building. Friends, we, we must, by faith, deliberately and permanently set aside the glory of what is visible in order, in order to glorify Christ through His Spirit, who is invisible. Christ is the greater glory. And any stone temple pales in comparison to Christ. It served as a shadow of the substance that would come through the sun. The law was a shadow of the substance of sin's atonement offered through Jesus Christ. He's the greater glory. Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is assurance of the things hoped for, uh, evidence of things not seen, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith, faith is convinced of what's invisible, not, not, not convinced by something that's seen. There is today really kind of a, a fast current, almost a raging current of Jews uh, who call themselves messianic. There's a number of Gentiles who, who now identify with them who concentrate their energies not on the gospel of Jesus Christ, but on restoring that stone temple which served merely as a shadow of what was to come in Christ. Referred as the temple movement. You've probably heard of it. They claim they're going to build God's third temple by might and by power and by political maneuvering. They have completely missed the point, folks. We're already it. Something far greater than a stone temple is already here. By the way... Next week, when we return to verses 6 through 9, uh, we, we have already determined that the latter glory of the temple, uh, this, this latter glory that was to come, it already occurred. It occurred when Christ came. It was when God, clothed in human flesh, walked into the temple declaring that something greater than the temple is here. Therefore, that verse 9 points to the first advent of Christ and was fulfilled around 30 A.D. Therefore, when God says, I will shake all the nations, really plunder them, uh, to bring in the silver and the gold, and, and in this place He assures, I will give peace, what is the plunder of the nations? Is it pallets of gold and truckloads of silver? 
Does this treasure of all nations consist of, well, well precious metals that you find on the period, uh, periodic element table? Is that what is being spoken about here? It's not what's being spoken of here. But is there anywhere in the New Testament that assures we are already building a temple of gold and silver and precious stones that is already in existence today? That's the right answer. And this treasure of all the nations, the gold and the silver, it's already funneling into the third temple from the Chinese and the Anglos and the Latin Americans and the Africans. You might even find a Norwegian in there time to time. And they're already filling God's temple. Why? Because Christ is the greater glory. By the way, you have a MacArthur study Bible in his notes. We talked about this this morning a little bit. This is where it comes, folks. People who are in the morning class, here it is. If you have the MacArthur study Bible notes for verses 6 through 9, you can just go ahead and tear that page out. Nah, I'll leave it there. Jeff Rogan, leave it there. Um, it serves as a great reminder that MacArthur is, is a man just like us. Sometimes he, he gets some things wrong like we do sometimes. He's just a man. As much as I appreciate his contributions, it is his flawed eschatology that causes him to, to push verses 6 through 9 into our future. Not Israel's future at the time of Haggai, but our future rather than finding their true fulfillment where Paul tells the Corinthians that we find it. 1 Corinthians 3 will be our scripture reading next Sunday. And the silver and the gold will continue filling God's house next Sunday. As we drag our neighbors and friends and people into his church because their eternal souls are that valuable to the Lord. More valuable than gold or silver. We sang it in one of the songs. Perfect. People get all, all, uh, uh, all caught up in the physical. How things look. Zechariah and Haggai say you got to remove yourself from what you see in order to visualize the greater glory. Um, next Sunday we'll begin to assign a proper valuation to the bride of Christ the gold, the silver, the precious stones, as we are told by Paul. A few remaining observations and, and applications from verses 1 through 5 before I ask the men to come forward to distribute the Lord's Supper. In verse 3, they were assessing value according to what they could see. And they were making comparisons. Ezra records the reaction of some people who saw uh, the foundation completed, saying this, quote, Many of the priests and Levites 
and heads of fathers' households, the old men who had seen the first temple, they wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes. Oh, they were stuck on what they could see. They wept. They cried aloud. Folks, do you believe that God is doing great, th great things through works that appear comparatively small? In as few as 10 days, another prophet named Zechariah is going to come on the scene. Uh, he's eventually going to declare to this same group, for who has despised the day of small beginnings? Folks, don't, don't be deceived into, into believing that the work at Port St. Lucie Bible Church is somehow insignificant. The project we are working on, it is huge. The massive building project. Uh, building the body of Christ could be compared uh, to an assembly line of a jumbo jet. You might be off in a shop somewhere working. You might be assembling a tiny device. You've been told, put these together. Uh, that just seems insignificant. Doesn't look like much. When a brother stops into your to your shop and ask, so what is it that you're working on? What are you making? And you reply, I, I don't know. I attach this little bracket to this egg-shaped thing, and, and then I put it in, I'm supposed to put them in those boxes over there. All the real work goes out in that hangar. Have you seen that plane out there in that big hangar? All the real work's going on out there. Have you seen the size of that thing? My job isn't all that important. And your brother, he's trying to figure out what it actually is that you're working on. And he looks at the label on the box, which says, Magnetic Compass. Trust me, folks, the pilot is not leaving without it. Friends, visibly, the smaller works of God are not insignificant. We don't get engrossed in what we can see. We get engrossed in what we cannot see. See what Haggai is saying? It's the giant work that's going on that we can't see. Verse 4, take courage, Zerubbabel. Take courage also, Joshua. All the people of the land, take courage. Three times the Lord says it. Leslie Porta brought up this morning in the adult Bible class, she said, that's exactly what happened in Joshua during the conquest. Three times the Lord said to Joshua, take courage, take courage, and take courage. Folks, the Lord says it, and he says, what? In verse 4, he says, take courage and work, for I am with you. As for the promise which I made you at Sinai, he's speaking of, we'll look at it next week, uh, when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. The Lord is saying through Haggai, you might not see me in a, in a pillar of a cloud. Uh, I might not be visible in a pillar of 
fire. But I assure you, I am right here, right here. If we want to be effective builders of God's kingdom, we are going to have to resist the fleshly desire that everything has to be visible. While I attended just a short comparison here, while I attended seminary, I was employed uh, by and later and I later Rita and I were sent out as missionaries uh, from a from a church in North Texas. Uh, over 40 years by God's grace, that faithful church at that time had become a visibly impressive place. Several of you have seen it or been by there and driven by there. Uh, very large work of the Lord. For the purpose of illustration, this past week I made some quick comparisons between us and Denton Bible Church. It has approximately 30 times the people, 30 times the staff. The price of their building sanctuary uh, was approximately 30 times what it cost to build this one. By coincidence, both buildings, their new one out there and this one here, were, were completed both in 2005. They were at the, at the climax of a work. They were at the end of a large work. They say, we won't be adding on. Massive sanctuary. And each Sunday, they experience a roughly 30 to 1 size ratio when compared to us. Is it a greater work of God? No, the ratio is simply bigger. It's the same work of God, but because of its size and by God's grace, it has become visible. But the work that we share here is no less significant than the work that God is doing there. It's just a different scale. I truly believe that. Over the, people, over the years, some people have asked me, you know, if Rita and I ever, you know, uh, regret leaving there, not staying on staff there and being part of that bigger work. <laughs> I love that church. No. No. Absolutely not. I've said it before. I'll say it again, and this is true from the heart. There is no place I would rather be today than Port St. Lucie Bible Church. It's an amazing work that the Lord does through us. If we're very careful, maybe we can get out of here today without messing it all up. <laughs> but this is the first Sunday of the month. So as the theme has kind of been today, we're going to share that greater glory, the blood and the body of Christ in a meal of remembrance. So let's, start, let's celebrate by sharing the Lord's Supper before we depart. 